Next skipped voice message. Well, I'm getting good at leaving messages on laptop because the truth is that nobody ever actually picks up. So I sort of feel like I'm talking to a bot all the time, which I might as well be. Uh, case in point now. So hopefully in the future when I call landline, I'll get a real live operator who directs me to the host of a live show that I can talk to. In the meantime, good night. End of message. To erase this message, message erase. Everybody, welcome to Landline Podcast. Hello, Landline. Hey, I'm talking through a mask right now. What are you going to get? Isn't that going to just be... Coffee, high protein. Is it going to be filled with sugar? Um, no. It's got 630 calories. It's got dates in it. Um, that's kind of the main uh, carb source, I think. Did you Did you just pick up your order? Take your time. Outside, I, I feel I know that this is like bad pod content, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to break through with somebody on how per, um, preposterous it is that we're wearing masks outside when we're when we're socially distant. Yeah, I mean I don't I'm not the mask expert. Like I guess it just matters how close you are. Like if I was at like a Antifa concert where everyone's packed next to each other, I would probably have a mask on. But, uh, like, right now, I'm not really close to anybody, so I don't see any need for it. So, you know my ultimate Frisbee game that we've talked about at length on Landline? The, um, crazy guy? Kent. Yeah. Um, I don't think he plays anymore, but they've kind of pared it down to this game you can play called Lane Ultimate, which I don't really know the rules of, but... They're, they require you to wear masks, and so I just haven't gone back because I, I don't know why. I mean, it's not like anyone cares. I mean, they all want me to come play, but it's not like I'm proving anything to the planet by n- not going, but I just I, I can't. It's just an artificial line in my mind that I can't cross. I'm not going to go exercise with a mask on in a team sport. I'm not going to play a team sport with a mask on. Do you think Kent is a no-mask person? 
He seems like it from what I've heard. <laughs> now there's a there's a soccer game that goes on, a pickup soccer game that goes on near my um near Homer's school that I see when I drive to go pick him up. And none of those guys are wearing masks. So I feel like I might just migrate to soccer. But you do sort of like get pretty close to people, even if it's briefly. Doesn't some, some people have said that the sunlight kills the virus basically immediately. I don't know if that's true or not. I think you have to be exposed to the particles in a sustainable way for a length of time before their little coronas, the little like gears that are there can attach onto you and start getting into your system. A sufficient load, as they say. Yeah. I just, anyways. Also, if you're somebody who plays soccer, you're probably not going to like get that messed up from it. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. I mean, yeah. It's just, we certainly, nobody knows. Everyone is just, everyone is definitely on the side of, like, let's wear 14 condoms here just to make sure. But I think, the, I think the researchers understand at least, like, you know, the basic elements of it pretty well by now. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, um, this is an interesting, I was thinking about this earlier while I was jogging. If, when China first, you know, I mean, let's say they made the virus in the lab sometime in January, and then they released it in order to mess us up in February. So then it hit here in March. That was like, I don't know how many months ago, but you could do the math. It was kind of a while ago. If everybody had just agreed to jog every other day and eat, you know, three servings of veggies a day, it would be like not impervious to it, but it wouldn't be really that big of a deal. But instead, we collectively have agreed that it's better, not better, we would prefer to shut down every business and possibly collapse the entire world's economy just to avoid jogging. I mean, it's like getting a little preposterous at this point. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And 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 I mean I thought <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say shut down every business. We we I will I will take your choose your own adventure from we collectively. We comma collectively comma and say we comma collectively comma have actually ex- accelerated the behavior that puts our immune systems at risk to this like 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 binge dr- Binge drinking. MJ, not me, but others. And then watching TV for six months straight. Just ordering saturated fat delivered to our homes. Drinking copious amounts of alcohol and exercising less. Yeah. Having some, like, skinny fat hipster who vapes and, like, definitely doesn't take precautions come to your house to bring you Taco Bell three times a day? Like, just, just, just asking to get worse. Well, that really dovetails nicely into the topic of today's, the initial topic of today's Landline Podcast, 503-894-8480. Australia, welcome to the show. 
worst podcast on the internet, Landline Podcast, 503-894-8480. I am officially the fattest I've ever been, so I thought that we should talk about it. What, um, how are you, like, defining fattest? Weight. Well, you could have, you know, put on some muscle for all we know. Well, let's talk about it. get a DEXA scan. I mean, so if I, I definitely, I have been off the booze since, uh, since Sunday night. So we got that going for us. It's now Thursday. Um, but I know that things kind of, you know, need a little time to actually come, come down and show the results in this category. The, the sugar and just the eating has taken place to the alcohol. And I mean, it, it takes about three seconds on Google to find that, you know, it's very common to just start binge eating sugar once you're off the like four beers a night train. Um, so this might be a little bit of ballooning before we kind of see, see the other side. But just to your point, I mean, what is the back of the envelope way to figure out whether... I'm, I'm, whether it is muscle versus, cause I've been exercising too. I mean, there's gotta be, there's going to have to be some weight loss here. If I'm, if I'm the heaviest I've ever been, if I've officially gone over 200 pounds, even if I build muscle, I think we need to, we need to work on some sort of weight loss here. Well, I think we can, we can probably just, uh, just cut the mystery short and just, just make the determination that it's not muscle that's causing the weight gain. I think that's probably wishful thinking at this point. Do you have like a seasonal mental disorder like I do around like, okay, it's okay to gain weight, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas. Then of course there's always like, that's when the podcast calls Saul in January. And he's like in some sort of like Russian bath situation talking about how he's, done two yoga classes run and had some sort of jump rope rope exercise like every day for the last week to detox you know you're getting into like spring break season where you want to start trimming up and then like really ideally you'd be at your thinnest on july 4th right like when you're ready to play shirtless beer pong on the you know in in the big yard in newport you want to be like at your fittest and then Sure, you might gain a couple of cute extra pounds while you get some tan over the season, and then you get into Labor Day, and then you kind of you want to cycle back to like that fattest portion, like of kind of the chocolate season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But I find myself at the fattest I've ever been two weeks before Thanksgiving. So, uh-huh. what do I do now? So I have that same cycle, but it's a weekly cycle. So it sort of bottoms out Sunday nights, and uh, then I sort of go back into health mode like Monday afternoon. Monday mornings are particularly tough. Um, but in terms of the alcohol, that's a good uh, that's a good point because, and it's maybe is also sort of an age thing, but like you know, two K seven to two K eleven. When I was in college, I mean, I was in college after that, too. But when I was drinking uh, a lot more than the average person does, I was, like, in phenomenal shape. And now that I basically don't drink at all, I'm, like, way, way worse shape than I was that. I think it's 
going out and partying. <laughs> so, so every Sunday night is like New Year's Day for you, is what you're saying. Every Monday morning is like New Year's Day. Um, yeah. Well, then we're, we're on, th- we're, th- you know, then Thursday afternoon while we, while we're recording this podcast is sort of like your Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I normally do run club on Thursday. So it's like one of the local sort of outdoor beer garden. Well, it's indoor also, but a big outdoor area. So they have their own run club every Thursday. So a bunch of people from my gym and some of the competing CrossFit gyms all meet there. And we run and then hang out and like have a few beers thursday night so that's like my most sort of like uh healthy last social point in the week it's the crossroads uh, it's like where everything gets together yeah it's like where the the tigris and euphrates meet It's, it's just it's it's all happening as they say um and so then usually like if i go out friday saturday I do a lot of, like, running and stuff in preparation for that. But then, yeah, it, it sort of comes crashing down on Sundays hard. So, yeah. Well, you're lucky enough that you don't have kids. And, I mean, that, that applies for millions of reasons. But one of them is, is Halloween. So, you know, obviously when my kids are 14 and 12, Halloween will take on different meanings and they can eat all the candy they want and you know shit their brains out or throw up all over their rooms or whatever or they can go out on their you know bmx bicycles and throw eggs at their teacher's house or whatever i'm all about that but in the meantime you know we've done a pretty good landline job of not really having commercial candy be a part of my child's life and it's not like we're wizards it's just not that hard a, they're not allowed to go anywhere anymore, so it's not like we're in convenience stores three times a day and they're standing at the candy rack wondering what, you know, what a Mr. Good bar is. They just they're basically never going to see it unless we buy it and bring it home from the grocery store. B, you know, the idea of feeding a three-year-old like a bunch of chocolate, it just even even the worst parent is pretty good at you know avoiding that. So, blah blah blah. Plenty take... of parents that are not good at that. All right, well. Sucks, sucks to be them, I guess. So, I mean, so, so um, go ahead. The concept of not having kids as it like pertains to Halloween is is a, a good pod topic, and this is going to hurt for you to hear, I think, and for your you know however many listeners that are married, is that it's not an issue of candy. I mean, obviously, yeah, it sucks having like a bunch of candy around. Um, oh man, hang on a second. Scantily clad, they might say. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I mean, just the fact that, like, that you were saying, you were saying you're lucky that you don't have kids in regards to having candy around. And I was take, I thought you were going to say, because I was able to go to these parties, this sort of highlights the uh, how lucky somebody who doesn't have kids actually is, if that makes sense. Well, so the the low, it does make sense. The the low moment of trick-or-treating, which we did have. We went trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. People did great jobs getting the candy out there in socially distant ways. Every every Mr. Good Bar had a, a mask on it, um, a tiny little mini mask. Uh, the this sort of like moment where I thought of you immediately and just wish you had been there in your scantily clad outfit was when we walked by someone who happened to be like a Nabisco sales rep who was just uh-huh. handing out full-sized, family-sized packages of Oreos. So we're talking, I think the like the original Oreo probably has four columns, you know, let's say 14 inches long of Oreos. This was like six columns, 18 inches long with a big yellow banner that said family size on it. So we have to bring that back to the house. We have, you know, 800 different pieces or 80 different pieces of mini Snickers and all this. And we just, after night three, our kid doesn't even remember it's there anymore. And we're not giving him chocolate for the rest of the season. He's not going to get one piece of candy for the rest of 2020. It'd be a nightmare. He stayed up, you know, an extra 90 minutes every time we gave him a miniature Snickers. So, I end up just starting to pound Oreos like two fifteen in the afternoon, you know. And I don't know. Those are hard to stop once you start. It is incredible, Max. I I I haven't had an Oreo in three and a half years, legitimately. You cannot stop eating Oreos once you start. I mean, that is the flavor science people at Iowa State. That corn syrup you know, DNA that they put in there, whatever it is, that strain of corn syrup. It's like Doritos. It's like the sugar equivalent of Doritos. I I would do like, I could do eight Oreos back to back in 187 seconds and wonder if I should stop. So finally this morning I walked out to the trash cans. Actually, I did this last night when I was putting the trash out and I just threw out half the package right in the garbage can. like a weight loss perspective i think you're definitely better off staying with the alcohol i mean maybe not this doesn't apply now that you guys are married and whatever but like if you're if you know that you're going to like a crowded dance club on friday night you're probably not going to pound mexican food all week you know that like who knows what could happen maybe saturday you have to go to a pool party whatever you're, you're keeping it, you're forced to keep it together. Now, it's like all bets are off. You know, you're just, you're just kind of un, unhinging the jaw like the boa and just taking it all in. Well, I, this kind of leads me to sort of have to come up with a name, name for this, but this is a landline mental explosion well let's come out it's just like a landline paradox landline paradox so mini 
three musketeers are landline. It's the candy that we all used to get when we used to. Never got three musketeers. Okay, recent. Why would you? Why would you get those over like a Snickers or something? I love three musketeers. It's just nougat and and milk chocolate. It's it's like mushy. It's like something an old person would eat. Yeah, it's like it's all. uh, It's just like a mayonnaise chocolate bar. It's like eating a mayonnaise sandwich. There's no ham. It's like There's the no old cheese. man who eats the mayonnaise and tomato sandwich. Which is delicious. Way. Tomato, mayonnaise, salt, and cheddar cheese or jack cheese is, or Munster is an incredible sandwich. Um, but only, you know. You're, you're just better off dead at that point. <laughs> so, so okay, whatever it is. Snickers, you know, Reese's, the, the whole nine yards. Oh, little little packs of so Skittles. Good. You know, Anna brought brought home um, mini boxes of Nerds, Grape Nerds, anyways, <laughs> which she commented to me I couldn't complain about because they were in cardboard boxes, so they were recyclable versus all the other plasticine. Good point. So that is landline. Trick-or-treating is landline. Like, it's good old-fashioned American fun, and I guarantee, you know, in 25 more years, everyone will somehow, like, trick-or-treat on zoom and then get like a bitcoin a portion of a bitcoin as their trick-or-treater in their little like basket and instead of buying candy with it they'll like buy you know only fans porn with it or whatever so yeah like trick-or-treating going outside regardless of the weather in the fall when the weather should is hopefully like you know it's not always hospitable to being outside wearing a costume maybe being a little bit scared about going down the street to, like, that weird old guy's house, knocking on the door, or seeing if they have any, like, you know, peanut clusters that he made himself and put in a wax paper bag. That's all very landline. So at the same time, like, my moral and emotional self feels that basically a, a mini, you know, a mini Mars product of any kind is the, is the reason that the world is ending as we see it. It is the, it is deforestation. It is, you know, it is government subsidies for corn. It is slave labor. It is single use plastic. It is, you know, cheap, <laughs> cheap bags of crap at box stores it's the death of main street i mean i could go on and on and on about how to mini snickers is the reason that there's you know basically uh economic inequality and and institutional racism it's all in a snickers you're not, bar you're not a fan but so so what am i to do am i to, am i gonna be that that dad who just like just tells his kids how like Halloween is fascist, right? I mean, we all know that guy, and I think we're all glad I'm not that person. At least, if you're you have to physically, you know, experience a, an hour and a half with me at a dinner party, like that would be kind of over the line. I don't think those people get invited to dinner parties. But so, so like, what, what, what? And then there's the like, well, let's do the hipster candy. Let's do the like, you know, Annie's or even beyond that. Like, not some General Mills bullshit but you know some moon moonstruck chocolate in portland has a well you're basically it's just like algebraically equivalent right i mean you're still using palm oil that is killing the orangutan and you're still relying on you know 
d- disgustingly low wage labor for people who have no other opportunity that are going home and cooking their food on either like raw charcoal or kerosene. So I, I feel like where where am I to go with that? Like just me, what do I do in that situation? Well, you could start um, like giving out the trigger treaters, but then wait, giving uh, out what? Wait, a target for the. Sorry to interrupt. Giving out giving out what to trick or treaters? Fruit like apples or oranges, but then you run the risk of uh, the trick part of the trick or treat. And then what about all the waste? I mean, not to react to that. Think about how much I like. I'm going to throw out the rest of the candy, the laffy taffy, and the lollipops in single use plastic, and all the all the stuff that nobody ate and nobody wants. How much? How much production is Mars ramping up in August, September, October, only to have, you know, in, an increasing percentage of all the parents in the country just force their kids to throw it out because it's going to cause them diabetes. So there's like the landfill problem too. Well, the single-use plastic in, like, in a bigger picture, I mean, that's pretty much, like, that ship has sailed, right? Like, there's no, I don't even know, like, what you could do to try and stop that. I mean, it's like, you know, if you buy, like, if you buy, like, a, uh, anything, a thermometer, you got to fight your way through, like, four inches of plastic to get to it. Jesus Christ. It's the worst. You can't, like, you can't buy anything without, that's not encased in plastic now. The worst, and you would never know about this, so you may find it interesting, or at least I I feel obligated to tell you regardless. Kids ibuprofen. So if you have a one and a half year old, every three weeks, or a, or a nine-month-old, more accurately, every few weeks they're going to push a new tooth through their gums. And that is going to be an extremely painful experience for them. And although there are some people on the spectrum who choose to never medicate their children, those people are better than me, and I choose to try to get some sleep, you know, one every four nights with two little kids. So you give them infants Motrin and they will not sell you, you know, Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R, the international pharmaceutical conglomerate will not sell you a bottle of infant Motrin that's larger than 25 milliliters or not even. I think it's eight milliliters and you have to give the kid 1.75 milliliters every time you give them a dose. So you're talking about basically like nine, nine doses of this stuff, and you open the box. The entire plastic thing is wrapped in plastic with a plastic hood. The container itself is plastic, and they give you a plastic plunger, like eyedropper doser that has two plastic pieces in it. So every single tooth you're going through a box of that stuff, there has to be football fields full of these orange and clear pain droppers just in ready to just get bulldozed into the ocean by the Vietnamese whenever they're deciding that they want to build some more condos for backpackers. Couldn't they just, 
I mean, we know this is back to my floss thing where we know exactly how much floss everybody should use between now and when they die. So everybody could just get one spool of floss installed in their closet in their bathroom and never need a plastic floss dispenser again. I mean, we can do the math. You are a life insurance company knows how long you're going to live to the month. We know how much floss we use. We know how much you should floss. We just need the floss installation people to come and put it in a custom, you know, floss closet in your bathroom. It's the same thing with the medicine. Can you just sell me enough infants Motrin from age zero to age three in one bottle and give me one fucking eyedropper and call it good? Well, you could just uh, rub whiskey on his gums. Isn't that what they did in the Old West? Yeah, like um, there will be blood. Yeah. And it's percent you run the risk of him becoming a uh, like a whiskey snob. Like his first words could be asking for a single single malt instead of the uh, Jack Daniels. So I mean, what is Looking it? Next to a train track right now. I don't know if you could hear that. Your sound has been good so far. Better than Saul. I hope you take that personally, Saul. So I don't know, Max. I mean, just just for me, for for your friend Alex, like like you know how stressed out I get about these candies. Like, what do I do? And then we can move on to another subject. Um, like in terms of should you allow your kids to have them? Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think about how much better your life would have been if, at an early age, like you just didn't really have a whole lot of sweets. And uh, you just didn't really, like, develop those taste patterns, for lack of a better term. I mean, you know, your kids could be, like, uh, you know, have stick packs in high school, middle school, if they don't have any sweets. I mean, I was, I was just watching uh, Weight of the Nation, an old documentary on HBO. There's an episode about obese kids. And this was from, like, seven years ago, I think. And they were talking about how fat the kids were back then. And the kids on the documentary, like, didn't even seem that fat to me because all the kids now, seven years later, are, like, so outrageously fat. I don't know. It's definitely something, something to contend with. Well, this is where the whole idea of positive and negative externalities comes in that I feel like our future is going to be full of, which is that Snickers candy, you know, a bag of 35 mini, let's come up with something other than Snickers. What's it? What's like, you know what the worst is are the mini Hershey bars. Like, does anyone just want straight Hershey's chocolate? Just put something in it, nuts or peanut butter, like anything like we're already like making all the wrong decisions by opening up this single tiny piece of sugar and fat. Like, make it taste good, for God's sakes. Anyways, yeah, it's already bad for you. Like, don't make it boring. So, like the the mix pack, fun size mix pack of Reese's peanut butter cups, Snickers, M and M's, and Nutrageous. Let's put that four of those, like you know, twelve each, thirty six pieces per bag. You know, daily fat value of the bag is like is is three thousand percent, something like that. So you buy that at tar- you buy that at Target when you're getting shampoo and 
a new toilet brush and you know some sort of maiden made in uh bangladesh you know closet organizer or whatever you check out you go home you you uh now i <laughs> i totally lost my train of thought fuck what were we saying the the conditioner so there's reese's now i don't know if you're like how familiar with reese's are you are currently but now they have the king size cups which i guess they've had for a while but they have king size reese's cups and inside the reese's cup are reese's pieces yo i've had them i've had them they're incredible. Yeah, I mean, those are pretty good. <laughs> those are, that those is are pretty good. That is like where that is the apex of candy for me, right there. Like if you gave me the best weed in the world and asked me what candy I wanted, it would. That's what I would describe. So they they ace that one out of the park. So, oh boy. Well, I was gonna make some incredible point there that I completely lost. So call the landline five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty if you. Uh, oh, positive externalities. If you want to comment. Basically, how is that bag of candy four ninety nine when all the obese kids you're talking about are going to cost taxpayers four hundred million dollars every month for diabetes and heart disease? Like it should be the other way around. Like the farmers market food, like the most tasteless, nutritious, leafy green vegetable that everyone hates eating, should be free, and the thing that is horrible for you should cost forty dollars. That candy should no. cost so much money that nobody could buy it. And then everyone's like, well, that's socialism, and that's the government. Well, guess what, you assholes? You're paying for it anyway. Like, you're either going to pay for it with your tax dollars, you're going to pay for it with your health care bill, or you're going to pay for it by having to look at all these disgusting fat people the rest of your life. Yeah, the idea of people who can't afford health insurance only being able to afford fast food is kind of like if we were in a car speeding towards a uh, cliff and you tried to put on the brake and then the passenger was like, no, no, no. And then they just pushed down on the gas. Like it's really not sustainable. It seems. No, it would be if, if the, the, if, if the passenger said the brake only works when you're going five miles an hour, not 120. Yeah. The brake only works if you pay $16. Cause that's what, the price of like a kale smoothie at Clean Juices. Landline. Landline. Well, better late than never. Soon you'll be able to call me on my landline or our landline. I gotta be honest, I'm hungry, I'm scared, and I'm a tiny bit drunk. Well, I had two Negronis, and we have Indian food coming, and we have a bottle of champagne in the refrigerator that we'll probably drink. So you're off the wagon. Off the wagon. And what, what, how are you, how are you keeping track? Of? being on the wagon or like some other thing the election um ipad on the coffee table tuned into msnbc just couldn't just fucking nauseously vomitingly liberal i hate it and i mean are the what is there anything to hang our hat on there's nothing there's no, so far there's no good news 
No, and 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 the iPads like it's on a network of like an Eros thing that turns out to be owned by Amazon to like make your Wi-Fi better. So I'm just just disgustingly liberal. Yeah, there's no there's no good news. We didn't think there would be, but there's not. Exactly. And I mean, what are what are we talking about? Silver linings yet? Like, I think Pennsylvania won't be determined tonight, and I think North Carolina is close enough to be in a recount. That's my nine thirty p.m. West Coast election night call. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, North Carolina is you know gravy on the chicken fried steak, right? We don't we don't need that. And Pennsylvania would be nice, hopefully not necessary. But very nice, and if it doesn't come in today, then so be it. Uh, Florida, it turns out, is a bunch of just hick assholes who hate democracy. And you know, there's there's a lot of you know there's there's many ways to skin a cat. I mean, there's you know, there's there's plenty of methods that we have. I, I remain confident and cool. All right, you want to talk in like an hour and a half. Be, All right. Well, I have to. I'm going to make a carnitas taco with homemade purple cabbage coleslaw and pickled fennel, and um, settled. My kids are finally asleep. I can now officially like start watching CNN and really like. I don't know where. I don't know how my stress can go higher. Like I don't know where it goes from here. Um, I don't think I'm going to cry. Um, but I might not like, I might have to like watch reruns of the Great British Baking Show or something. I mean, it's not, there's no, at midnight Eastern, which we're past, there's, oh wait, no, hold on. I'm I'm wrong on times here. It's seven o'clock here. Who knows what time? We're nowhere near midnight. All right. Well, at midnight Eastern, we will not know who the next president is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I I gave Tim an optimistic prediction I, I said I think that we're gonna go to bed knowing that it's President Biden. I don't I don't I think I was betting more with my head than or my heart than my head, but uh yeah, why not? Like we'll take that to the bank and, and maybe we won't. But again, I feel I feel fairly cool and confident about this whole endeavor. All right. Well let's get let's check in and after the Indian food arrives. All right, let's let's talk in an, maybe in an hour. Okay. Me, you, and Tim can sneak in a little FaceTime. Okay, yeah, or we could do a three-way landline. Oh, I like that. You call Tim, you call us. I mean, as, as soon as the phone rings, I hit record, and we're on. Welcome to the phone booth world. Yeah, exactly. We, I don't, I at this point, assume that if I'm talking to you, then you're wearing a wire. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. Anthony. Keep calling your landline. Can I just delete your mobile number at this point? I would love that. Yeah, I mean, what good is it, really? It's like a vestigial tail. Oh, God. All right, I need a taco. I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. All right, I want your anxiety at least 30% higher. No problem. Bye. Landline. All right, well, let's pivot. Um, Let's pivot here. Yesterday was Veterans Day. Thank you for your service, Max. You are a veteran. You You are a former Marine. Non 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 off. What are they? You're, what you're you were an enlisted man in the Marines. Is that what you called? You're called if you're not an NCO and you're not an officer. What are you? You're just a you're just a a, a hump. What do you, what do they call you? Uh, well, one.
once you reach a certain rank, like a certain enlisted rank, then you're considered a non-commissioned officer, which is basically like not really anything. It's just you're just an enlisted person. And then officers are commissioned officers. But you were never an NCO, were you? Did you did you reach a high enough rank? Yeah, I was an NCO. I mean, I was the lowest NCO you could be. But usually in the Marines, uh, people make um, E4 before they get out, which is what I was. And is that sergeant? That's a corporal. Nice. All right. You can, you can make uh, sergeant um, in your first four years also, but... There's like, we had these um, basically like correspondence courses. This is sort of a landline thing. Like you would send away to Quantico, to the headquarters uh, based to the, what's called the Marine Corps Institute, which is not exactly uh, MIT. And they would send you these things called MCIs, which stood for Marine Corps Institute, like and they were basically these correspondence courses, which were uh, about different, like, military subjects, like land navigation or machine guns or whatever. And you would fill them out and uh, mail them back. And for every, certain, for every one that you did, you got a certain amount of points. And then once you reached a certain amount of points, uh, that would, like, put you higher towards uh, getting promoted. So if you wanted to pick up corporal, you had to do a certain amount of MCIs. Um, but this will be maybe not surprising to you. I didn't do any of them and uh, was still still got promoted. So And could you have gone about that? Could you have gone like let's in an alternate universe where you had done everything like on time, like I'm sure some of your people in your in your Quonset hut did who were like total brown nosers did they end up getting higher than you or did it, did you all end up in the same place um let's see i would say like 90 percent of them uh actually this is sort of, this is sort of inside baseball but like because i switched to a different mos our score your you have what's called a cutting score which determines like when you get promoted so my i got a new mos which then had a new cutting score which was much lower than the uh my previous cutting score so i actually ended up getting promoted like six months before all the people who did the uh mcis wow what's what what what's mos mission operation system military occupational specialty which is just your job nice all right well that i that was good i i appreciate all that insight um so you're an expert is basically my point and there's been you know what some media has called a purge at the pentagon and uh you know longtime listeners know that i am not, I don't really want to go political here, even though there's so much political going on right now. So I'll try to kind of skirt the partisan issues, but make some landline points about purges at the Pentagon. Number one, I feel like you are a good person to agree with me here, and I'm always looking for a yes man on landline podcast. Can we, can we all agree that purges are like 
Stalin dragging people from the Politburo like out back and having someone with a Super 16 camera, you know, film him shooting everybody in the head against the cement wall. Like a purge is like what the Venezuelan dictators do once they like roll their tanks over the barbed wire fences at the presidential palace. Right. A, a, a purge is not like getting a pink slip two weeks, two weeks of uh, severance and then like a, you know, a, a pension. Is it? I mean, technically, what do you think of when you think of purge? Um, well, probably the movies purge. Um, it definitely like definitely sounds pretty ominous. I mean, isn't there? There is like pretty much a purge every time there's a new president, though, right? And instead, it's not they don't get dragged out and shot. They go work at think tanks and make a million dollars a year. So, like when when people like the defense secretary get fired yesterday. And then some other people get fired. And I'm not trying to, you know, minimize how it could be bad if there was an ongoing and there are ongoing military operations and there are ongoing military threats. But like if you were still in the Marines and you were in Afghanistan, were you in Afghanistan or Iraq in between? No, you were Bush was just president the entire time. Right. There was no sort of transition of power there. Yeah, just Bush. So. Would, would Although I was in the National Guard when uh, Trump took over. And, like, how does that act? I'm just interested. Talk about, you know, landline. It's like there's a new king and all the horse riders go out to the Roman camps, a new emperor to the Roman camps where they're fighting, like, in Gaul against the Visigoths or the, you know, barbarians. And it's like, here's the new, here's here's a coin or here's a, Here's a uh, you know a, a wood block in ink drawing of what the new emperor looks like. How much does that actually impact what's going on in the various you know forward operating bases around the world right now? It, it, it's you know the the media is saying like this is putting you know a lot of people at the Pentagon. Um, you know they're all uneasy, et cetera, et cetera. And I and I don't doubt that they are, but I guess I was just wondering like. If somebody were to like nuke us tomorrow, like would our ability to like handle that be less? I mean, certainly with Trump being president, I think it would be. But just what what sort of risks are we at in these two months before the next president gets hired? Because I think this is kind of a pretty good illustration that maybe like our system is not not really set up for continuity as as much as we thought that it would be. Um. Well, let's see. There's like when I was in, the, like I said, the National Guard, they, there's a new president, but you know you don't really do anything in the guard, so it's like you know we didn't really notice there. Although you do, they do physically take down because you have in pretty much every military building, you have like pictures of the president and you know the top maybe five people in charge. So you do sort of literally take down those pictures and then put up new ones. Um, I heard people complain that when the Obama took over, it was less funding. I don't know if that's true or not. I heard people say the opposite about Trump. But again, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I'm sure you could look it up pretty easily. In terms of like day-to-day stuff, I don't think it would 
really matter to an active duty person. Um, you know, Trump was saying he was going to, what, basically reduce everyone in Iraq by half, which I think he had started to do, and then was talking a lot about um, basically pulling out of Afghanistan in a, a pretty major way. You know, who knows if he would have actually done that. I guess we didn't get a chance to find out, but I don't think, uh, I'm guessing that Biden and Harris, when he takes over in two months, are probably not going to be pulling anybody out of anywhere. I think they're pretty uh, pretty into, like, the, the money they get from defense contractors, but who knows? I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. So, like, it's kind of a landline experience of being a soldier and kind of just going someplace, moving all your gear, packing up the tents, packing up the base, and just going someplace else without ever really getting to ask why or have any say in it, right? I mean, what if anything, COVID-19 has made us all so self-propelled because there aren't a lot of opportunities to actually even have a community experience at a concert or a football game, you know, hey, we're all going to wait in line for the metal detector now, and you're just going to kind of follow along, and why are we doing this? Why is the line so long? Why didn't they make it faster? Well, I don't know dickhead you know just wait in line if you want to go to the game is the answer like hold your pee there'll be more beer inside just stand here and if it takes 20 minutes fine on the other side you can go find your seat get a beer and watch the game you don't get to you don't have to ask that you know all those experiences are kind of going away right now for covid and when you're describing everything i just i wonder like what what was it did you ever have an experience of just getting obviously you got told to do missions and stuff like that but just everybody kind of just like moving like sheep for no reason other than that they were told to. I'm sure you did. Right. Yeah. Like every day for four years. I mean, that's what the military is. That's like the saying, hurry up and wait. I'm sure you've heard that. It's like, I mean, that, that like is the military. And so with this kind of transition, you brought up the defense secretary or the previous one, Mark Esper. Have you, you're like familiar with what he looks like, right? You've seen pictures of him? He's just like a, he looks like a banker. He looks like a 58-year-old banker. Exactly, 58. So that's my point. You know, dark black hair, relatively young-looking skin. So I don't know how old he is exactly. I could be wrong a little bit on the years. But he was a lieutenant in Vietnam. So he would have been, at a minimum, 22 when he went to Vietnam, I think he was there in 1967. He was an Army uh, infantry officer, which means he's like... 75. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how old he is. He's, he's probably as old or older than some of our parents, but he looks like he could be like like our age almost. God, he looks like he was... It's pretty incredible. He looks like he, he was like a, a dad who can still get away with like going to Cabo with, with the college kids for spring break. He'll rent the house and buy the beer. Like, to put it in perspective, so, I mean, there was some interim people, but he basically took over from uh, General Mattis, who I think is roughly the same age as him, but looks like the Crypt Keeper. And 
Mark Esper, you know, looks like he's like a, a TA in a psychology class. Uh, this is like sort of weighed on me mentally for a long time, and nobody else seems to pick up on it. Yeah, he looks good. He's kind of on the Tom Brady sort of, uh, you know, hair plug, facelift, workout program. Tony Robbins might. Even, even if he's dying his hair, which maybe he is, he still, you know, looks so young. Like, I don't get it. Great upper body. We can all agree on that. Yeah. He fills out a suit. He looks great in a suit. So then, like, I guess my last question here is, you know, how is the chain of command working right now? Do you, do we have any idea? So in in regards to you talked about like having to like pick up and move, like you know, go to training in California for two months, and you got to like get all your stuff together. This is something that that I think you'll be uh, you can empathize with. And this is, kind of gets back to our candy talk. So that was at least when I was in. That was age. 19 to 23, working out a lot, like physically healthy, fit. And so it, it didn't really, like loading up a sea bag with all your stuff and, you know, your rucksack and everything else and going to like a staging area, then getting on a plane, then getting on a bus, then going to another staging area. It's a lot of, not even like physically hard work of carrying all the weight, but just sort of uncomfortable, physical, uncomfortable sitting and walking conditions. And looking back on it, like if I did that now, because I'm so unfit compared to then, it would be like miserable. I would just be physically uncomfortable the whole time. Like, you know, various fat rolls would like be squeezed together from sitting and whatever else. Whereas then, like it kind of didn't even notice. Like it was annoying having to do all that, but the sort of physical out of shape fat portion of it, like didn't even factor. That's why they get young guys, I guess. Oh yeah. And then like, I mean, going on, you know, patrols and stuff, I would wear just pants and the cami top, no undershirt no underpants, no stretchies, no nothing. And now it's like if I don't have my compression shorts and, you know, the right fitting, the perfectly sized extra large cane shirt when I work out, I'm like horribly uncomfortable. It's just it's, it pays to be physically not fat, I guess. Yeah, I think get it, just getting old is it's no fun. It's just no fun. Esper, and then you just look like you're 30. And you stood up to Trump, and then you got to tell everybody you did on the way out. I mean, that talk about coming out on top. And nobody could call you, like, less than because you fought in Vietnam. He kind of played his cards right, in the military community, at least. So Yeah, it's funny. Like, all of, all of Trump's, like, big general advisors were all, like, except for maybe a couple of them, all of them could have gone to Vietnam, but didn't. And, uh, I think Esper was so Esper was like pretty widely criticized as being part of the military industrial complex, which technically he was, but he was also one of the only ones who went to Vietnam, whereas, you know, even Mattis didn't and who, you know, 
was on Trump's defense team. Didn't. Did Mattis fight in Korea? Did Mattis fight anywhere? Korea? I don't know. I mean, he looks old enough. I know. That's the thing. He like he could maybe even be younger than Esper. That's the whole like this is this is a big deal. The guy looks so young. Anyway, whatever. So maybe, maybe QAnon has an answer for it. But no, Mattis was I think he was in college during Vietnam. If you if you watch a lot of like interviews with him, he's very sort of uh subdued and sort of uh, introspective and he looks basically tired. I think he's like probably super depressed that he missed Vietnam. If I had to guess. Anyway, here's he the thing: thousand years old. If if you're if you're a kid, girl, you know, if your kid's in college or just graduated and they're coming home with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and it happens to be sort of an aristocratic English person who happens to have you know an estate in Kent and knows how to ride a horse and you know can get into any club in the city and, you know, has a Coke guy no matter what continent they're on, but is really smart and is going to get their JD at Oxford, whatever the case may be. Just be wary of the fact that all English people look like General Mattis when they turn 70. So regardless, yeah. regardless of sex, regardless of, you know, their past fortune, that that is how an English person ages. So you, unless it's like a super arty person that ends up growing like a soul patch and having like Elvis Costello glasses, again, man or woman, I would I put up Prue from the Great British Baking Show as a great example of the female Elvis Costello in her 70s. But you just have to, you know, that's what an old English person looks like. And you just ha you kind of have to weigh that as you consider how nice it'll be to celebrate, you know, Boxing Day um, with some sort of pseudo-royal at some point in your 30s. Even Hugh Grant is looking old now. It's also staying fit. So just quickly on... on I'm sure Hugh Grant has aged better than that uh, prostitute he was caught with. <laughs> so the guy who replaced Mark Esper is a retired... Army Special Forces officer. I think he was a lieutenant colonel when he got out, give or take. And I think he joined the Army as an enlisted guy in the 80s, probably mid-80s, then went to college and came back as an officer, whatever, got out 10 years ago, has been working for like a contracting company or whatever in politics. So, and he, if you just look at him, you'd say, yeah, he's maybe 15 to 25 years older than Esper. When in reality, he joined the Army in 1985 when Mark Esper had been in the Army for like 20 years. Like Mark Esper was 40 probably when this guy joined the Army after high school. Do you think anyone else on planet Earth is talking about this with the same specificity? We've got the market corner on this. Landline podcast, 503-894-8480. Well, I think most people don't realize how old he is. So they just see him, they're like, oh, this is some, like, you know, Raytheon or, you know, Northrop Grumman exec that um, Trump put in charge, whatever, 50-year-old sleazebag. It's like, nope, he, well, you know, he did work for whatever company, but... Yeah, graduated college in 
1966, maybe, joined the Army as lieutenant of the 101st and went to Nam in 67. I think it's insane. So, Max, are you are you going to go over to Newsmax with, a, with the other Fox News people? Like, where are you at? I mean, I can't do... 40 full minutes on this because I want to tell you about getting rear-ended by somebody with blue hair, but um, you know, there's this... A, a Portland thing? Yeah, definitely. It was a Portland thing. Um, Wait, what is Newsmax? I haven't heard of it. So there's a... Newsmax is like a right of Fox News news... Well, Newsmax was a newspaper, I think, on Long Island that was, you know, at the height of newspapers at New York City and, excuse me, at the height of news, the newspaper world, which was probably like, what, the mid-90s, right before Al Gore invented the internet and ruined life for good. Um, if you went to a New York City newsstand, you know, Newsmax would be there, I believe, along with, you know, the Times, the Post, the Daily News, Barron's, the Wall Street Journal. Um, I think the Evening Standard might have been a paper, all these other, the not you know, the the... I don't know. My dad can tell us. But Newsmax is a Long Island-based, conservative-leaning newspaper that, if I had to guess, was purchased by somebody like Rupert Murdoch or even somebody, you know, wackier that's maybe it's not part of News Corp. And it's kind of run as an independent, you know, neo-publication. And, and so a lot of the... Fox News... You know, Trump is now really driving a wedge between... Fox News and his supporters, because now he's obviously going to start his own news network or try to make money that way. People say he's going to have like a Rush Limbaugh style show and charge $10 a month. And that's how he's going to pay his legal debts for all the ways that he's going to be prosecuted by the state of New York, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just wondering, you know, given that you maybe moonlight as a sort of a Fox News observer, I think I, I want to give you like some credit and say you're more you're more entertained by the entity that is Fox News than anything else. Well, uh, I watch probably just as much fake news as I do Fox News. And so I didn't know if you'd caught wind of that. And if you'd like, I would have loved to hear some of your opinions on how how wacky Newsmax is. But you're this not is something that, that you you will want to you'll get a kick out of. So you're familiar with Tucker Carlson, I'm sure. He's, I looked this up the other day, I think he's 51. If you put me and him next to each other, 10 out of 10 people would say he's younger than me. He's 51. It's incredible. <laughs> so he, you know, say what you want about his politics, I think he's, you know, maybe don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, but I think he's at least somewhat genuine in what he says. He's um, gone through quite a weight loss also. Have you noticed that? That he, like, you can see it in his face, he's trimmed down a lot. Oh, God. I remember, I mean, he's been on TV for 30 years. He was on TV on Crossfire on CNN when I was in college in 2000, 20 years ago. So, and I think he'd been on for five years. I mean, there's a really famous clip where john stewart went complete ape shit at crossfire for like making the news sports and saying like this is real these are not just debating points like people are going to die because of these decisions and i'm pretty sure it was about when the he was on crossfire i think i sort of remember that yeah so and i'm pretty and sure tucker carlson is saying i thought you were a comedian yeah exactly and it was like tucker carlson 
uh, Paul Begala, and then there were two. There was a famous old conservative guy on Crossfire who I think his first name was Bob. And if you remember his last name, five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. That's uh, that's the Woodward. Uh, no, it's this uh, like I rem- I can remember his comb over, but and he had dark Bernstein. dark dark black eyebrows. Um, Landline. Landline. Hello? Landline. Landline. Yeah, funeral march. Oh wow, you picked up. Yeah. Do you want to? Well, call- I got you on speaker. I was uh, just on my way to the liquor store. Are you nervous yet? The bilingual COVID and railroad safety sign, and came upon some non-activist uh, public space. Occupiers. Are those Scottish ba- bagpipes? Yeah, what are they doing? Practicing. <laughs> this Apparently is... they do it every Tuesday. <sighs> what are you, where are, how are you, how are you, mate, like, what? what's your plan here? How late are you going to stay up? Oh, not very late at all. Are you detecting? Are you detached? Are you watching the news media? I am detached. I came out for a split and found the bagpipe. God, it's so peaceful. Should we all just go out and bagpipe? I mean, it is a classic death instrument in my mind. Well, I'm at about an 11 right now. Not looking great, Bob. Wait, what else is going on today? What are you gonna get at the liquor store? I love how you're like you. I've seen. I've. I've. I've corresponded with you twice in the last five days, and you've been going to the packy. Are you like buying pints of Covassier? Well, the flavor this summer has been those tall blue Sierra Nevada hazy IPAs. Unfortunately, I live close to the liquor store, so when the lights are on, I walk there. All right. Well, um, what else you got? I mean, like, sorry, I'm just, I feel like I'm going to puke inside the phone booth because of the election. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh, God. There. What, what's, what's our time stamp? Look at your phone and tell us what time it is because we've got a couple calls in here. We'll patch this together to a pod. Is it? Is it? 801 Eastern. This is like this is a great argument for living on the West Coast. By the way, could you imagine it being 1101? Yeah. Well, that's the difference, man. Is you know the sun went down just about an hour and a half ago. The temperature is perfect. I wasn't planning on going to the liquor store, but then I came across a practicing Celtic band and. Uh, 
they practice every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Wow. Inspirational. Here they come. Yeah, I mean, someone's doing something, I guess. Uh, why do li- The problem with the liberals running the media is that they just tell themselves that things are going to go okay, but they actually have no idea what's going to happen. And no, they- the problem is they've been doing it for too long. That's why they're weak. It's it's true. They don't they don't know what's going on. They don't they have no they have no ear to the ground. I was looking at all these people in like the ABC studios. It's like all you people are millionaires wearing like five thousand dollars suits right now. What do you care? You're definitely yeah. you're taking a you're taking a black car to your apartment building later. You don't you don't what do you care who's president? Yeah, they're just all turning down Here's the Thing by Alec Baldwin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Um, call me. Call, Saul's supposed to call me again in an hour. Why don't you call me again in an hour? It can just be a yo-yo of the two of you calling the landline. That uh, sounds awful. I look forward to hearing the edit. It was funny. I'd like to talk to Saul, actually, because you were texting about toxic shame and all the all your bullshit after wearing, like, whatever uh, Magic Mike was wearing at the end of This is the Edge. And? Then on the podcast, you guys start talking about sobriety, and Saul's just out here running in a song to his motorcycle. Uh, it really made me think, but well, that was days ago. So now I'm walking towards the fucking bagpipes at the fucking City Mart Liquor is what apparently this business is called. Well, Saul's too. I'll call you in an hour. All right, bye. Landline. Last bit here, um, and then we got to sign off because I have child care duty, as they call it in the industry. Um the I got rear-ended. I, I was at a stop sign in my electric Nissan Leaf. Um, the new one you just got? Oh, it was like it's two years old now. I think um, we got a minivan, but this is just an electric little, you know, around town oh, yeah, car. Right. And stop sign coming down a hill, and was four-way stop. It was on a Sunday. I think I just went to the grocery store to get something coming, you know, something to deep fry or slow cook or whatever and uh stopped at the stop sign about to start accelerating nobody else there and just get rear-ended at about 25 miles an hour at a full stop which i I don't know about you but like all the physical comedies from the 80s that i loved growing up um like i always got and, and into the 90s too i always got the biggest entertainment out of just like a car, a car hitting another parked car, like outside Providence, when they're all um, like taking bong hits in that giant old Chevy, and they just run into a stopped police car. Um, it's always everybody in the car turns to look at something, exactly. and they rear end the car. And it's kind of the same level of comedy as in Spaceballs, when they're going ludicrous speed. And Rick Moranis, like, demands that the colonel stops it. And he's like, I can't stop. We've got to slow down first. And he says, I order you, stop. And they throw on the emergency brake, and Rick Moranis just goes at, like, a million miles an hour. 
into the dashboard of the space shuttle or ship and just smashes his helmet like that pure impact so at first i almost want he gets caught playing with his dolls they're all the characters from the movie i think it's pretty underrated (laughs) it's an amazing scene he sweeps them all like so elegantly into that desk and (laughs) slams the drawer So, anyways, I got I got rear-ended, and it, it's like, at first I almost thought it was funny, and then I was like, what the fuck? Like, how do you hit a stopped car at a stop sign at 20 miles an hour? And, you know. So, I, I go to the, I, I get out, I kind of, you know, you immediately you want to be aggressive, right? I mean, that's the way of the world. You want to immediately position yourself as the superior being so that you can ultimately make sure that the other person is paying for it. Like, as soon as you're getting hit, the first place my brain goes is how is this other person going to pay for this? So you want to, you want to take the top position. So anyways, the person gets out and there's like a bunch of plastic, like sort of like pillish bottles, like sort of down by, by her feet, but they look like, I, they look like high end weed gummy containers. And it's sort of like not a cool hipster it's sort of like a weird sort of skater hipster cross disaffected youth in there and like sprinkle in some like you know like hardcore like Karl Marx was not all bad kind of thing and and she's like a little bit spaced out and I immediately was like how did that happen and she was like like only the man wants you to stop at stoplights (laughs) yeah and I was like, how did that happen? Like, and she didn't answer. I was like, were you on your cell phone? And I, and then she didn't answer. I was like, what's your name? And she goes, I don't have to answer those questions. That's the first thing she said. (laughs) So then this like sort of wacky guy drives up on the other side of the road in kind of like a 10 year old Chevy Impala and rolls his window down. And he says, Hey honey, you got to watch out. You're driving crazy. And I was like, "What?" I was. I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't wrong. I was, and I turned to him, and he's like, "This." She, he was like, "She's driving crazy all over the highway." And so this is like, I'm like, "What is going on here?" Anyways, long story short, get you know, na- you know, get her license plate, take pictures of the street corner, get her, get her um, insurance. But when the guy said you're driving crazy, she turned to him and she goes, "Yeah." My dad just died. Mm, I don't know if I believe that. So all of this happens in 45 seconds that I don't have to tell you. The guy driving up out of nowhere felt like I could get shot all of a sudden when he rolls his window down. But instead, he's on my side. And then she says her dad dies. You know, my mind is exploding. So we drove away. Um, Car got fixed. Her insurance paid for it. It was like a little bit of a nightmare making all that happen. But now I've just been getting texted incessantly by the collision center asking for me to review their performance. And they keep calling me Anna because that's where our, our insurance is under my wife's name. And I just thought, you know, many people are probably turning their iPhones down thinking this is the most boring story that's ever been on landline. But I feel like this is kind of a moment where we can tie that experience to the polling data of the election and just say like, Hey, everybody, like we don't want to answer your questions. 
Like we already have heard for the last three years that all of our information is getting stolen by, you know, by the by big tech. And now everything is about the guy who did my car, who fixed it, asked me a survey like at point blank range with masks on as he's giving me my keys. He's like, on a scale of one to ten, how satisfied are you with the customer service? And I was like, six. On a scale of one to ten, how clean do you think the car is? I hadn't even gotten in the car yet. I was like, seven? He's like, on a scale of ten, how how quickly do you think we did the work? I was like, four, because they were really slow. And he's like, we're going to send you a survey by text. Make sure that you answer it. And the point for me is like this entire business model, this entire existence of like a collision center, getting hired by the insurance agency to be the preferred provider. It's all about saving money. It's all about cost. And then it's all about data collection and like algorithms and making sure that I like, I wonder if I don't answer this survey, is like a real person going to lose their job at this collision center simply because I didn't answer? Yeah, it seems like they're lacking sort of the human element that would know that that's like annoying and you're probably not going to go there again. So how are people going to collect information from people? Don't you feel like that? Well, I, I, maybe you just don't care about this story, but I just think it's fascinating how many people just voted for Trump that didn't say that they would. And it's because who the hell like wants to tell anybody anything anymore? So did you get like a million election-related text messages and phone calls and stuff? Yeah, but they all were addressed to my mother in New Hampshire. It was like, hey, Linda, the election's coming up and climate change is going to be a big issue. Can we count on your vote for Joe Biden this this fall? They like somehow had mat matched up my cell phone number with like my wife's address. Like all the data was bad. Sometimes I got called my dad's name. It's like it was very bizarre. Was it emasculating for you to be called either your mom or your wife? No, it just made me think, like, how much of Mike Bloomberg's money was wasted on this text message campaign that can't even factor my cell phone number with my mom's identity. I, what I didn't quite understand was, like, people are obviously, like, doing this, paying for services to do this. Does anybody think that anybody's vote was, like, swayed by getting a... a, a mass-generated text message. It's like, it just seems like such a, a waste. It's so weird. We've all, we like, we all know what spam looks like now. And yet there's, yeah. so, how many email spams do you get in any given day? And I guess it's just so cheap to send them. Like, the fact of the matter is you can touch 10 million people in an instant as long as you have their addresses. So by the law of app. Skynet. It's not the robots killing everyone. It's AI just going crazy with the spam messages, just bombarding everyone. That's that's what the future dystopia looks like. It's like a bunch of yeah. it's a bunch of Wayfair emails asking you to buy new furniture. I mean, I get like I get probably five to ten spam calls a day, and at least five like spam text messages a day pretty crazy oh man all right well anything else have you been listening to landline any uh any any notes as we try to improve the show 503-894-8480 call call the landline leave a message be funny if uh when that lady re rear-ended you she got out and held up 
her phone with a picture of Mark Esper, and she's like, I just realized this guy's, like, almost 70. Like, this is crazy. Uh, I will should say... We talk, should we do a couple minutes talking about Saul to make him mad since he's not? Definitely. Uh, and I do want to say, in the, in the pod. last thing about the rear ending, like, everyone's got their political points of view, and... I know that there's a lot of division in this country right now, and everyone's very sure that you know their side is good and the other side is bad. I guarantee you that you want to be rear-ended by like a Trump voter in an F-150 who is ex-military because they're going to be really organized about exchanging your insurance and yeah. knowing like the distance between them and the stop sign. They have everything organized in the glove box. They like, you know, they, they, they shake your hand when it's all over. They say, I'm sorry, this person, yeah. this, this, you know, this like uh, moonlight Antifa character didn't say sorry. She didn't say sorry to me. It's like it makes me hard to empathize. She probably about. wasn't sorry. Right. Exactly. I shouldn't have been standing there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you shouldn't have stopped. Saul. What do, what do you want to talk about Saul? What do you want to say about Saul? You got, well, you got to talk about Saul's. Well, let's talk about how he won't answer your calls. I think that's pretty good content. Uh, he did call me right before you did. And I told him that the deal was that he had to answer my call, not call me. So it didn't count. So what do you want to say about him? I mean, like, which which area do you want to go down? I don't know. I haven't talked to him in a while. So I was hoping you had more, more like, recent news. I feel like we, I mean, we could call him. We could call him and let him just defend himself. Well, here, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that he told me in a private text message yesterday that he finds that your 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 pictures of food prep are, are just not not up to snuff. That he how so he he feels that you are more animated on other text chains with larger groups, and that he kind of gets the dregs of your communications. That instead of getting like off the wall opinions about Mark Esper and his physique and you know hairline, that you're kind of just telling Saul about like how you've chopped up a bunch of kale. And then taking a picture of it in like a bad light. Well, first of all, I sautéed a number of veggies, and then so also, I mean, I had a whole. Did I send you guys the whole like um, the odyssey that I went through of making all that stir fry? And I put all the veggies in at the end and had to pick them. I had to physically with a, my bare hand pick them out of the hot stir fry, the hot wok, and put them in a skillet because they weren't cooking. I, mean, I don't know what more he wants. So what was that? Tell us how that disaster went. And that that's how we can end the pod. We'll just do a little hot stir fry talk here. I mean, it was it was pretty trying. Um, so I got um, ground chicken and ground turkey. And then Trader Joe's has these um, like pre-cut, this would bother you, pre-cut stir fry veggies in a big plastic tub with plastic like wrapping around it so i got two of those and then a thing of cauliflower right frozen cauliflower rice so i think i put the meat into the wok first and then the cauliflower rice and then once because my thing was the veggies would cook pretty quickly 
which I think they probably normally do. But then, then I dumped in the two giant things of veggies. And as soon as I did, I realized they're just sitting on top of everything else, not cooking. So I tried to mix them in as best as I could, which didn't really do much. So then I had to, you know, fish them, you know, reach in like Indiana Jones, reaching through the ground meat and cauliflower rice to grab all the broccoli and carrots and everything else and throw them in, do like an emergency skillet and throw them in there so they would cook to be like the same level of cookness as everything else. Well, I believe, and you'd have to look up this up on the internet or I just buy a Japanese cookbook is my preference. Maybe I'll send you one. And there's a new order book website that's trying to take on Amazon that um, does not sponsor the podcast. But if I knew its name, I would mention it now. But I would tell you that I, I believe the proper stir-fry technique is to either understand how long everything is going to cook, and so you're adding things in succession. And I think you were on the right track, but the rice might have been your might have been your problem. There's just too much volume in the rice. I, I I've never known rice to be in a wok unless it's a a stir a stir. Oh, it was cauliflower rice. Don't. So, stir- so I, I don't want people thinking I used actual rice. So, well, was the cauliflower rice frozen when you put it into the wok? Yeah. Well, that's your problem. Like just the 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 volume of that cold temperature item cooled the entire vessel down and. You really want to, you know, the key to a good wok cook is is having it hot, hot wok, cold oil. So I think. Well, it was also it was physical, physically accessed to the wok surface. The vegetables couldn't get through all the other stuff to yeah. get to the wok. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you would have wanted to take the meat out, do the veggie, and put it back in a bowl, and then cook the veggies. And then add the meat back for that, for and and finish the cook the the veggies as you're like warming the meat back up. But I, I'd keep the rice out of there, unless it's unless it's at least room temperature. There's think of all the Saul Saul uses like a lot of um, like cream like skin creams and moisturizers and stuff. Is that right? I mean, I don't think he'd be like upset with us disclosing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he definitely does that when he's at it when he's at a. When he's at a luxury hotel. I'd be interested to get his take on, like, just a daily, like, from sun, from waking up to going to bed, like, all the skincare stuff that he thinks a, a renaissance man should should have, you know, in his cabinet. Talk about single-use plastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's that's all for Landline. Call the Landline, 503-894-8480. Australia, we're waiting on you. And thanks for listening. The momentum is building, as I always say. Um, you got to tell, not now, but at some point, tell the Ishii versus uh, Joe Biden story. Oh, I'll tell that. I'm going to record with Anna about the phone booth. So um, okay. we'll talk about that. That's good. Yeah, we do have we have a direct line to Joe Biden's. Uh, German Shepherd, future German Shepherd elect, I think we should call it now. Um, Do we, unless we're on Newsmax, do we know that that's the same German Shepherd? How how old is that German Shepherd? I guess it's well. Some of the people I work with were saying that they they think he has two dogs, or he's about to get a second dog because there's been a lot of news about how 
his dog or one of his dogs will be the first ever shelter dog to be first dog. So that's kind of, I mean, in my world, which is very uh, shelter dog centric, that's like pretty big news. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's been all uh, purebred. Well, I think the Obamas had a doodle. At this point, I mean, a doodle might as well be a purebred, you know? It is, absolutely. All right, thanks, Max. Is your smoothie gone? Yeah, yeah. All right, talk to you later. Thanks for being on the show. All right, call me tomorrow. Bye. Okay, bye. It's time to